Hey everyone, welcome to 5am Voice. I'm your host, Will Comprin, and today we have two really good friends of mine, Joe Vitale and Blake Bacchus, and today we're going to be doing a debate on the two political sides, uh, conservative and liberals, you know, I seeing as the election is right around the corner. So today, Joe is going to be representing the Liberal is the Democratic side, and Blake is going to be rep- representing the conservative or Republican side. Um, and with that, we can just jump right into it. So, Blake, I'll ask you this first question. Yes, sir. Um, why do you support your party? Well, first, I feel that it's important because people get all... because. The Republican Party is a really like, you know, obviously both parties are very complex. I feel like it's important just like to note that I am not um, like a, a um, Trump, like Mitch McConnell sort of Republican. I feel like it's important that I'm more along the lines in my ideology of like John or sorry. Yeah. John Kasich or like um, Mitt Romney, you know. So I just feel that that's more like like an important distinction to make. So having said that, um, how did I come to support my party, um, and why? I mean, like, it's I'm not gonna lie, and everybody knows. Well, I don't know if everybody knows, but obviously, your parents and the environment that you grow up in is a very important distinction of how you like determine your values and what you think is, you know, right or wrong in the political spectrum. So I'll be the first to admit I grew up in a Republican, you know, Republican value household. But so that is like, that was like the foundation for my belief, but I feel like I've sort of, you know, split off from my parents a little bit, becoming a little more moderate some ways, a little more, you know, I don't extreme in others. It's just, but I, I started by getting the basis of Republican knowledge and then just sort of trying to form my own values and opinions because I've always found politics to be a very interesting subject in general. So, yeah, just basis of Republican household and then just building off that. All right. And the same question to you, Joe. Why do you support your party? Um, well, I'll also clarify similar to Blake. I definitely not as much of a radical leftist um as uh as some other people we know i wouldn't consider myself like a bernie fan during the primaries i i wanted biden to win because well i wanted biden to win because i thought he had the best shot of beating trump in two days but i really didn't want bernie to win because i knew that even though i might not support his policies and the good parts might still be included sorry i'm rambling i the reason why i support my party history wise is kind of because of trump but also kind of just how my beliefs have changed. I, my fifth grade teacher used to 
impart his conservative values on us. So I used to come home from fifth grade and talk about how corrupt Obama was and how he was a Kenyan and things like that. And I, I so at some point in the last couple of years, I kind of took a look at what was going on with what he was doing, what he says, he being Trump. And I was just like, I don't really vibe with that. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm not super conservative. And then I started to learn more about like what the Democratic Party stands for. Um, and I was just like, yeah, that definitely seems more reasonable just to me. My family, they're moderate Republicans. They're, they're I'm pretty sure they're all going to vote for Trump. And so they haven't necessarily been pleased with how my brain has gone. But yeah, it's pretty much just because I've uh, reevaluated what I think are the important stances on today's issues. So, so Blake, when you say that you have, um, you start to form either moderate views or more extreme views, can you just give us uh, just like examples of those, mm-hmm. just to clarify? Um, I would say that I am probably more moderate on, say, social issues and like you know that that sort of field of thing than my parents are. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, at, in terms of extreme values, nothing comes directly to mind. I just said that because I don't know. I just wanted to give like like a like I don't know, like a like a swing of things, and st- I don't know. So maybe that was a poor choice of words. But I would say mostly the the main you know difference between mine and my parents would probably be more more social values and more you know like public you know life public sector sort of things like that you know yeah yeah and so joe when you say that um you just thought that the democrats just were more reasonable uh what what specifically were you referring to when you said that um policies wise i would say like things like abortion and the environment really because on those two things, uh, as maybe I've learned more about just how bad our situation with climate change really is, um, the the Democrats have, like, they're the ones who have been saying that we need to take action on it. I'm not, I shouldn't say they're the ones. I think that their plans to address and what they say regarding climate change are the most fitting, I guess, or and like I would say that they're the best way forward. And uh, on abortion, I that that's just one that I've thought about. Like as my brain has been changing, as I've grown up a little bit, I I think that people sh- it's a personal choice, kind of like what some people say about wearing a mask it's like 
it's a that's not what I believe. But with abortion, I think it should be a personal choice, uh, regardless of whether or not you think it's good. So that's just how I've evolved to think. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, Blake, do you have any comments, regard, uh, questions, anything about anything that Joe has said? No, I, I feel like that's a perfectly, you know, reasonable line of thought. I feel like that's definitely a respectable, you know, way of thinking. And I feel All that right, personally, man. oh, sorry. I feel that that's no, awesome that you have really taken like your own beliefs instead of parroting what some of the other influence in your life have done because really the biggest issue in this country as a whole is either voting down the R&D line or just not voting at all because yeah. they don't have an issue those are the two most biggest issues because the 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 average turnout for an election is only about and well, I think this year will be an outlier. The average voter turnout for an election is only about 60% of the voting eligible population, which is completely ridiculous right. as a country. There's no way that this should stand. I would much rather you vote, and I am very against Bernie Sanders. I would rather you write in Bernie Sanders or write in whoever the hell you want, because at least you're going out and you're making the effort to vote instead of not voting at all. Yeah. Because if you're making the effort to vote, that means that you care somewhat, and that means that we're taking the right steps in order to get our nation's voting efficacy up. That was very well said, Blake. Well, thank you. I agree. Joe, is there anything you want to say? Not really. I mean, I, uh, I totally, like, I understand how, like, everybody's shaped by their, their own environment. And yeah, there's not there's nothing obviously nothing wrong with that because differing differing opinions is good. Yeah. All right. So with that, I think we can move on to our second question. Um, Joe, I'll start with you this time. What do you think is a misunderstood or fake belief about your party that it's bernie and aoc's party but i think yeah a lot of uh obviously the democratic party and the liberal versus conservative debate is more than the 2020 election but Trump and Biden are both the representatives of their parties at the moment and the leaders of the parties. So if I'm citing their debates and the, the just this election in general, uh, that kind of does serve for how this greater divide is at the moment. So like in the debates, Biden has been talking about how He's not Bernie Sanders. Trump isn't running against Warren or Sanders. He's running against Joe Biden, to quote Joe Biden. And that, I think, is evidence of Biden and the party establishment kind of refusing the control that gets portrayed by the radical left of the Democratic Party 
because as much as their policies kind of reflect, so Biden Ed talks a lot about how um, he's not controlled, or I wouldn't say that he doesn't say controlled. The media says controlled, and not, not the media. Trump and the Republicans say controlled by the radical left. But I'm Blake, I'm sorry, I'm realizing as I'm talking that it's very like accusatory towards no. all Republicans. No, I mean I mean you're not wrong, because it definitely happens. Like I I'd be lying if I said it didn't. So Yeah. So I just part I kinda have I like where Biden's policies stand. Some of them I think He's definitely not going to stick to them when he's actually implementing them. I think what his campaign is trying to emphasize in the last couple of weeks is that he's probably not going to be as progressive as everybody thought he was going to be in June, say, because they're kind of pushing away their the relationships they had to build to win the primary. And speaking of that, I think... That's more evidence as to why um, the Democratic Party isn't controlled by the progressive wing. Uh, because in March, we kind of saw all we saw in the same weekend right before Super Tuesday, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, both and all their supporters dropped out to back Biden after he won in South Carolina and had a little bit of momentum. And then that the establishment endorsements kind of pushed Biden through right when it looked like Bernie could win the nomination. And so they were actively fighting against being controlled by the progressives. So I think that kind of sums up how they aren't. So, yeah. All right, and same question to you, Blake. Really, the the modern depiction of a Republican in the past four years or so, and even before this, is that they're all these old, crotchety, racist-ass baby boomers who don't, you know, are out of touch and don't, like, really, um, I don't know, don't really connect with the younger population, which I think is a really sad thing to do because you've seen in some of these more left-leaning news sources, which people obviously still watch because they're like, you know, they're nationwide or at the very least regional, you see the Republican Party become demonized. So if you are a Republican, as soon as you say, oh, I'm a Republican or, oh, I'm, you know, I'm running as a Republican, you automatically, you have to fight against that because of this recent public perception. Because, like, just now I felt that it was necessary, even though obviously I would talk about um, my specific beliefs in this podcast, I would say that I'm more Mitt Romney, John Kasich than Donald Trump. If I was just out and I was talking with a random stranger, I would have to, I would have to clarify that anyways, because, you know, some people as soon as they hear the word Republican, they're set off and they're, they're really just, they're off and they get, you know, how people get 
But I really, the main emphasis of what I'm trying to see, even though I am rambling a little bit, is that the Republican Party is not the Mitch McConnells of the world. They are, you know, a prominent part. There's no denying that. That's obviously true. But they're a more extreme part of the whole, and there's definitely a large contingent of moderate Republicans who are, you know, ready and willing to to really work with some of these more more democratic people where other more conservative politicians maybe would not but there's definitely a large contingent of you know young you know more progressive republicans than you would see nationally portrayed and i feel like that's an important distinction to make yeah yeah so, so on that note, Blake, do you think that um, do you think that a Republican Party should uh, should invest more resources into trying to change that image of them, or do you think that because that's such a strong part of them right now, they should continue to play off of those uh, voter beliefs, or you know, do they think that you know times are changing, they need to shift their policies to target those more uh, moderate. Uh, Republicans. I personally, uh, from a personal standpoint, I would be absolutely ecstatic if they invested more in the moderate Republican. I would be extremely happy about that. But if I'm the leader of the RNC, there's no way in hell I do that. Because if you can get Donald Trump as a president, if you can take this, even though he really, you know, rolls off the anti-establishment tide and that was a large factor in voting for him his public perception is absolutely horrible no matter which way you look at it if you can get him to be elected again even though it's against hillary clinton which is a bit of an asterisk because she's probably one of the most unlikable politicians in the past like 30 to 40 years so there's obviously very large asterisks there but you can still get this figure in and you still have this extremely large contingent of really conservative like rural voters in the midwest i would absolutely play to that strength for the next 10 to 20 years until when the baby boomers start dying off by the time i'm 30 i bet you that the the platform of the republican party will be significantly changed now after the baby boomer generation really starts to die off and then the republicans switch to becoming more moderate and trying to siphon off the independents and the moderate Democrats who are really, I would say, pretty firmly in the Democratic camp right now, I will abso- I absolutely will see that change coming soon, but not now. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. And Joe, do you think that, so you said that, you know, a lot of people think that this is Bernie's and AOC's party, right? Do you think that um, if if you could put in Bernie or uh, Biden into office, just like they, they just win the election automatically, they, they go into office. Do you think that Bernie would be a better face of the Democratic Party or... Uh, do you think Biden would? What if if you're a future historian looking back on like, man, the Democratic Party really hit on this one. This was a grand slam or yikes. This that that was a I don't know how he got in, you know? I don't know. That's <laughs> that's actually a really good question. I kind I would say 
probably Biden. Only because if Bernie is president, there's an on the I know we're ignoring how he got there. But no matter what, if Bernie were president, because of how in their corners everybody is right now, he would definitely be inciting a lot of people with every move he makes. Or at least Biden, he he's, he's probably not going to be super progressive in everything he does. He's definitely going to have a moderate perspective in his governing. So I think Biden would be a good way to like hopefully bridge a super hyper uh a super partisan period right now into a uh, Biden could be the bridge into a more uh willing to accept other people's beliefs and less volatile situation in the future maybe so yeah i'll say biden just out of curiosity blake what would you say to that question i i would say biden just because he gravitates toward the middle and is therefore more representative of the party as a whole um although He's probably a better representation of the party, but if you want to talk about who's the more prominent figure overall, who will be the more lasting prominent figure, I would bet a whole lot of money it'll be Bernie. Because, you know, Joe Biden, cool, former vice president, pretty significant, maybe our president, depending on how, you know, the next few days go. But Bernie Sanders is one of those, in my opinion, is one of those ideology shifting people that you see. So he will probably have a more lasting impact on American politics as a whole than Joe Biden, even though I think Joe Biden is better um, is a better representative of the party. I think off of what Blake just said, I think both I think there's a chance that both of them might be remembered as that, because if Biden wins Tuesday slash Wednesday, depending on how votes end up, um. Biden could be the face that all of Bernie's legislation goes through under. Mm. So the history books will put him right there with Bernie. Mm, that's a good Even point. though Joe Biden really <laughs> isn't progressive at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, do you guys want to say anything or do you think we move on to the next question? Um, good to move on. I think I don't really have anything to say. Yeah, I think I'm I'm pretty good right now as well. I got a stink bug flying around me. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Blake, hmm. what do you think your party does better than the opposing party? What I think really is. I don't know. I'm, tr- I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find like a good, concrete example of this. What I think my party does better is they don't really have these um, sort of 
empty promises that will never happen that people really ride the wave on but if you really look at it will never happen and if it does would be disastrous the first example even though like joe said by or sorry bernie is not representative of the party as a whole i'm going to use one of his policies of free college as an example for that if not even dealing with how insane it would be to make that feasible if it was a thing it would be absolutely disastrous for american jobs because back back in you know early to mid 1900s where you only went to college if you were a doctor or a lawyer like your high school diploma was like yeah that guy's educated i i can trust him now you can barely get a job anywhere without a high school diploma because now it's forced or at least you're really heavily railroaded into getting one now if everybody gets free college it'd be awesome for like five years because like these up and coming people are like yep i don't have to pay for my stuff i have a college degree i'm set but then after that everybody's got them so there's no value in scarcity anymore and everybody's just sol nobody can get jobs with just a four-year degree and then they're gonna have to go back for their master's their doctorate and it just keeps piling on and the snowball just keeps rolling. It's it's a temporary, it's a Band-Aid on a bullet hole, really, is what it is in terms of that. All right, Joe, same question. Um, hmm. I would say that the Democratic Party is better at proposing legislation and having the empty promises um, because especially right now I'll use um, like the, the Green New Deal it's not I don't think it's the most feasible plan and I don't think it will get implemented but it's a plan the Republican Party doesn't have legislation to deal with the climate crisis at the moment. The president also doesn't think it's an issue to be dealt with. But separate than that, there's no Republican plan for that. On health care, repeal and replace was the big deal in Trump's first two in the first part of this term. And because they wanted to repeal the Affordable Care Act, but there was there hasn't been a plan to fix it. So it's just that would just be taking away health care from people who have it. As bad as it might be, if that's the argument, but I don't know. I think that they at least propose things, and the Republicans more often are saying no without countering those proposals that's fair so you think that it's better to it's better to try and fail and you know maybe yeah. you promise something that doesn't actually happen but you know you try to get it done then just say nah this isn't gonna yeah. happen we're not even gonna like attempt that get the discussion going on the issues try to start debate so that we can figure out 
how to solve these issues and what our solution is going to end up being. Because that's the only way that things get done if you actually say say that you want to get things done. Alright. Yeah. I I can understand where you would say that Republicans propose less changes, and I, I would agree with you to an extent. But I would also say um not proposing things is not the same as not proposing things that you like in some cases because um if you i don't know i'm trying to find a good example because for healthcare, for example if if a democrat were to propose hey let's just give everybody health care and then republicans are like no let's not do this we should expand you know private things we should have limited um, public healthcare, but we should primarily keep it um, and expand it more privately. I feel like that's that is an answer. It's maybe not the answer that you're looking for, but that is an answer as opposed to not being an answer at all. In addition, I would say, uh, for example, Social Security as another example. If Democrats like, hey, we gotta we gotta up Social Security stuff because we're gonna run out of money by twenty whatever. Um, uh, a Republican saying what we should do is we should privatize um, retirement more and we should not um, really and we should draw back our Social Security. That is absolutely an answer to the problem, even though it may seem like non-action because, you know, not everything needs to result in a, in a tornado of absolutely like monumental legislature that, you know, changes the face of of American life, sometimes it's not always like that. And I feel that that's an important distinction to make. Well, your, I, I do agree your um, initial point of uh, that Republicans maybe have sometimes mm. are just like, nah, dude, we're not going to talk about that. I will agree that that is definitely a valid, you know, criticism and issue with the Republican Party. Okay. I, I think that's a fair point. I just, I think on some of those issues, I part of what I was saying was more like we I know that they have the reasons that they're saying no, but they aren't proposing the legislation to implement those reasons. They're just citing them as a reason to block this legislation. I get that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. So I guess we'll move on to our fourth question. So, Joe, um, how do you think your party handled the Black Lives Matters movement? Hmm. I, well, I think kind of like what Blake was saying with uh, empty promises and things that aren't going to end up being implemented, I think a lot of the support wasn't genuine some of it definitely was but a lot of the support that the democrats gave to blm was performative mostly to be like hey don't don't look at me i'm i'm with them but i i don't know if, how that's going to actually translate to um changing things that being said i think 
I know, like, you are a moderate Republican, and mm -hmm. you're not nearly... You haven't gotten to speak your piece on this yet, but you're not going to be along the lines of your uh, of the Republican Party's more conservative wing and their yeah. response to that. Mm -hmm. So I think as a whole, the Democrats responded better than the Republicans did to BLM, but I would not, agree. Mm -hmm. it still wasn't great. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. All right, Blake. I I would completely agree. I think that not that I would use um, something like this as a, like like a manipulative sort of way, but if I'm thinking as a politician, the Republicans they had this amazing thing to really sweep up you know black and other minority voters, and they're like. Hell yeah, Republican Party's the home for you. And they just dropped the ball. Republican Republican response to BLM was just it was just extremely poor. It was extremely botched. Um at the very least, what I will say is I'm glad that they were harsh on these sort of just ridiculous asinine sects sects, excuse me, of the movement that are like um for example, uh, Ocasio-Cortez talking about how, oh, you know, these 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 minorities have they have no choice but to riot, um, which is just ridiculous that one could argue that that's almost inciting violence if you really wanted to. But just ridiculous things like that and other like defunding the police, which I know actually doesn't mean defund. Yeah. But if, if but if you use the word defund, you have to take it as what it as what it is not as what i've you... never understood why defund is still used knowing that it's <laughs> so inflammatory exactly and that, that is a whole you know other conversation for another and on top of the people who actually genuinely think that we just we don't really need a police force which is ridiculous and mm -hmm. i i like that they were harsh on the more extreme very progressive sex sex uh, of the um of that movement but i would say as a whole they dropped the ball bad i definitely from this isn't what i would have wanted them to do but i agree with you in saying that they really could have hammered down with the the Democrats have done nothing for you while you've given them your support. Come join us and we'll do stuff for you. Yeah. <laughs> that And that didn't happen. So, so I guess basically what I'm hearing from the both of you is that your parties could have, could have done better, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Although, All right. in, hmm. no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. In fairness, it's it's really just it's a lose lose situation all around because there's no way you can contend with both these genuine people who are like hey we got to change some stuff which is absolutely correct there's some things that need to be changes but there's it's hard to do that and also appease the extreme riding farrakhan supporters who are like fuck y'all white people black superiority like that sect of you know people yeah it's, it's very hard to 
keep both in check while providing a solution that, you know, either solves it or at the very, very least shuts them up for a bit so you don't have mm -hmm. to deal with it anymore. So I just, it's just, it's not, I don't know, it's not very fair to say, oh, the Republicans, oh, they did bad. Where it's like, most every response, unless you are like a political, like posturing mastermind, you're gonna end up, you know, catching some strings. Yeah. This isn't an issue where you can appease everybody by any means. Exactly. Because even if, let's, even if you placated all, everybody who supported BLM, and from the most radical examples to just people who are like, yeah, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> if you are able to uh, give them what they want, then you're pissing off a lot of other people on the other side. So everybody's kind of in a lose-lose situation on this. But that being said, people got to bite the bullet and politicians got to be like, yeah, I know. I people might not like this, but we got to propose something. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's very true. So, so if you if you were the uh, faces of your parties, right? How? I'm sorry, it was right in my ear. <laughs> it was right in my ear. Oh shit! It's right there. Oh, my God. The hell? <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. I, I can I can edit this stuff. I can just cut stuff out. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Okay. So, if you were the heads of your parties, how would you tell your party to react? Um, how would you say? How would you make it so that um someone like you you being you and not the head of your party be like yeah you know what my party we handled that situation pretty well what what would you change about your approach to it i would probably say i don't know change some of the rhetoric and clarify some of the rhetoric like mm -hmm. make sure everybody knows that Defund the police doesn't actually mean defund the police, and it actually represents some reasonable ideas. Not abolishing the police, but that that would be my main thing. For me, it would be um, my main thing would be not um giving in say or appeasing the the violent rioters and the far left uber progressive um politicians it does not equal non-action or not caring about the issue it's not that you're against the principle as a whole you're just simply against what is being implemented right now because i feel like that's uh, a large part of the takeaway with republican action is that because we're not like, hell yeah, let's get rid of the police and we're not following the Bernies and the AOCs and the rest of them. We're not, you know, in stride with them. That means that now we we don't care and we're not going to address that. And I feel that that is just uh, unfair and simply not true. 
in uh, inaction with a specific thought within an issue does not equal inaction and not caring as a whole. That's like the main point of what I'm trying to get at. All right. And so for the last question that we have, um, I'll start off with Blake. The election is currently two days away. Um, kind of scary, but <laughs> so Blake, if you are trying to convince an 18 year old to vote for your party in the upcoming election, what would you tell them? This is kind of a, a shoot yourself in the foot thing right here. But honestly, I would say first and foremost, please, please, please form your own opinions. Because the the overall problem of extremely low voter efficacy doesn't get fixed by some person standing up on a soapbox and telling you to vote for, you know, to vote for Trump or to vote for Biden. Because that problem is going to outlast all of us unless something changes. If If I were... The, the the main thing that I would point to, and this is a shoddy argument, because to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know if I would vote for Trump if I could, um, is you look at Biden. He is, I, I believe, the if he wins, he would be the oldest president to to take office. I believe. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure. He would be. Um, and then you look at his his uh vice who is generally speaking a pretty like pretty darn conservative in kamala harris or or, sorry not conservative progressive in kamala harris who has her own can of worms who she i think she had one of the highest like um penalties like she locked up a lot of like minority kids in for like dope when she was uh, attorney general for california but that's a whole nother whole nother story as to why she's just a ridiculous pick as like a champion of progressiveness. But I would say you look at a really, really old Biden and you look at uh, a progressive uh, Kamala Harris. And I would say that there's a very real possibility that Biden resigns within a year and that I will, I'll be the first to admit that's a tinfoil hat theory. Like I don't have, you know, any substantial like, basis other than you know his his uh pretty well publicized uh gaffes in his public speaking but i would say well biden himself isn't um uh, i don't want to say a threat because that sounds too like (laughs) fear-mongering but like he isn't like like say quote-unquote a threat to like republican values and like republican beliefs i would say kamala harris definitely can be and I would say that uh, a country run by Kamala Harris is a train wreck waiting to happen. Having said that, frankly, so is a country run by Donald Trump. But if you had to give me an argument, it would be that. All right. And Joe? Um I'm going to be honest, I think the argument to vote for the Democratic Party this year, honestly, on all levels, is pretty clear, kind of as Blake was alluding to, just because it's a choice 
between somebody who's at least he's compassionate at least you know that he's human and i mean you could say that he's a career politician so he doesn't care about people but i mean it really seems like biden kind of does but even if you're like yeah i don't know if he's like that great or if he's gonna be the most caring about what i think or about me look at the other side (laughs) (laughs) is he he is so focused on him his entire candidacy was just about himself and getting more glory for himself but besides the personal glory he has all of his life not just as president or while he's been in politics he purposely incites division and like stirs up tension and tries to draw conflict which is not at all what we need right now in our society today of we say that the civil war 2.0 might start at the end of this week and that's not like outlandish completely (laughs) you know what i mean yeah so like i would just say to somebody who is voting and doesn't know who they're going to vote for vote for biden because he's human and he's going to like actually be like a decent person Uh, can I respond to a couple of things? Because that, oh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, still for sure, for sure. Okay, mm-hmm. okay so uh, there, there are two things that I would, I would like to address. The first is talking about inciting division. There are many, many things that you can criticize Donald Trump about, and I'll, I'll be right there along with you. But inciting division. I feel is a little bit unfair to him because it's the nature of politics to incite division. This is not some outlandish thing that you have this this loudmouth politician who comes in and he he draws the line in the sand. That's not anything new. That has been a thing for hundreds, if not thousands of years going back, you know. And and it will be for thousands of years more. I I feel that just about every politician to some degree has done that some more than others i will agree with you that donald is more extreme in that sense but to say that he is the most divisive or he's like the only one in the modern landscape to be divisive i feel is a bit unfair and it just like i said it it, it is in the nature of politics to draw the line it is in the nature of politics to argue and to make factions and to do all this is that something i like no i would much i big advocate for bipartisanship i love it the more we do it the better but i don't get to decide how politics works you know it, mm. it just kind of it is what it is i understand what you're saying and it, it is the nature of par- politics to be partisan. But I would contend that it is not 
it I wouldn't say Trump is the only um loudmouth politician out there, but he has a platform. Trump has like I said before, this isn't just like in the last four five years since his campaign has started. His entire career in the public view, he has he knows his situation and he knows what his influence is. And then he purposely he does purposely manipulate what his words will do to people in order to get attention for himself. And I know you might say that's unfair, but I just honestly think looking at his life, that's what I see. I could understand that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not excited for the day. I know this isn't entirely on question, but speaking on the nature of hyper-partisanship, I am not excited for Wednesday and Thursday. And oh, no, following. either way, it'll be, it'll be disgusting. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, do you guys have anything else to say um, about anything? Yeah, so, Blake, I just... I have yeah. a question for you now that we're done with Will's questions. So what are, I want to know your thoughts on the Supreme Court and or more specifically uh, like if a potential Biden pre- President Biden and Democratic Senate and House yeah, but well, Senate in this case were to expand the number of justices on the Supreme Court. I think. What were you? I think thoughts? that okay. So let's let's kind of um, let's for a second let's kind of go back. So Obama is about uh, what was he? I think it was about three hundred days away. Um, yeah, three hundred days yeah. away from from reelection. And uh, he nominates America. I forget who died. I'm sorry. Um, and he nominates what? Scalia. Scalia. Okay. I think it's Scalia. So uh, he nominates Merrick Garland, right? And the Senate mm-hmm. is like, no, we can't do that because, you know, presidential race is so close. Um, so that that is nixed. Uh, Trump wins. He nominates Neil Gorsuch. Okay. Then... Then sometime later, middle of his presidency, uh, somebody else dies. Again, I'm sorry, I don't remember. But he nominates Kavanaugh. Now, Kavanaugh has his his own, you know, tornado around him of controversy that mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, I, I am not as well-versed as I should be to talk about that in a way that, you know, he's knowledgeable. So, but point is, he gets yeah. in. So then now, with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we have Amy Comey Barrett about when was it first announced? Would you say like a like a, a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago? Yeah. Okay. I think it was three. I think it was like a much yeah. three, and now they're rushing to get it done. 
the, my very first thoughts is, yeah, what they got it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, is yeah, they were hypocritical. I feel that that is definitely true. They were hypocritical, but I think that it is absolutely asinine and naive to say that if they were put in the same position, the Democratic Party would not do the same thing. I feel that that is completely ridiculous and holier than thou and very elitist of some of the more vocal members of the Democratic Party. I feel that 1,000 billion percent, whatever number, they they would definitely do the same thing. They would definitely get three Supreme Courts in. And now we get to this point where some of the more progressive and more left are, you know, saying to, to expand the court. I think that that is a completely ridiculous notion. I That is, I would say, 95% the result of major people in the Democratic Party being pissed off that Trump won the lottery and he got three Supreme Court justices in. And it is about 5% about the actual hypocrisy and unfairness of the situation. Again, if it were in the same place, I, I guarantee you the same exact thing would be done with the Democratic Party. So saying that, no, we should, uh, on the grounds of some sort of unconstitutional thing, which is actually, if I make you know a little bit of a sidebar here, it, it, it's not the same situation with Obama's case and Trump's case, because Obama was not up for re-election. Donald Trump is, and he has a very real chance of getting re-elected, so I feel like that impacts how that would go, even though, like I said, I still think it's unfair, I feel, but I feel that that is a very important distinction to make. Um, but going back to the main point, I feel that is, is okay. to be quite frank, the product of just being a sore loser, in a sense. And that that is a rude way to put it, I'll be completely honest, but no, I I understand. But I what feel you're like saying. that is. I don't totally disagree. Ninety ninety five percent chance where that is, and it is. It it hasn't been about the actual mm -hmm. unfairness for quite a long time. Okay. But will if you're good with it, if I elaborate on why I asked. Oh yeah, like, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So, well, first of all, I wasn't saying. I'm not saying that the Democrats mm -hmm. wouldn't do the same thing if given the same opportunity, because they totally would. And it'd be wrong to yeah. deny it. But they didn't. And so why I'm asking is because I, in doing some research, I found a couple statistics separate than what I think is mm -hmm. partisanship. The Supreme Court isn't American politics in general weren't supposed to be yeah partisan but then they were but the Supreme Court really isn't supposed to be so as much as I wouldn't I wouldn't love it and I would probably be hypocritical in my own view if the situation were reversed and the Republicans were per uh, we're potentially going to present the idea of adding justices to the court who would offset mm -hmm. a liberal majority in order to make things more fair. I think I'm still going to, I still believe that I, there is an argument to be made that 
do expanding the size of the court to offset a 6-3 majority is a good way to go. But anyway, so what I found was that in the last 51 years, um, since Nixon, I think this goes back to, um, 15, or no, 19 justices have been put on the Supreme Court, 15 by Republicans and four by Democrats. And of the 15 put on by Republicans, 10, including Barrett, have been by Republican presidents who didn't okay. win the popular vote. So, like, yeah, yeah, do you yeah, want to yeah, say definitely. anything on that? Uh, part of it, I would say, honestly, just bad luck. Like, you know, like, like you, sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks to suck, I guess. You you lost. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> I I understand what you're saying about offsetting, um, but in that sense, if if you can have as liberal a judge as um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I feel like you know, kind of swaying it back to a more Republican thing is just kind of uh, you know, kind of how it how it goes, and it's the natural pendulum swing. Um, well, Scalia was Scalia, Scalia was really conservative. Is an interesting case because Scalia, I would say, it was is more willing than any other judge to 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 work. And obviously, RBG and Scalia have this friendship, and that's awesome. And they're able to get along, and they're able to pass as as true legislation interpretation of the law as it gets. And I think that's awesome. So I feel like Scalia is kind of a bit of an outlier in that sense as opposed to the norm. Um, as to your bit about the popular vote, I feel like that's a whole nother conversation that we could have for the next couple of minutes about yeah. the popular vote during the uh, versus the Electoral College. If Will, if you like to, and we would have time, I would love to get into that because I find it really interesting. Uh, but if not, I understand. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Okay. I think we have time for so, that, yeah. As a bit of a segue, the whole the the notion of let's adopt the popular vote, I feel like is 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 a bit ridiculous, and it it would end up really destabilizing our country. Because if I really wanted to, say we were popular vote only, if I really wanted to, I could just go hit up the big cities and I could be like, guys, everybody who lives in cities. I'm going to give you like hella tax breaks. I'm going to listen to all your issues. Screw those rural hicks. Um, and that is just going to be how it goes. Cause obviously there's more people in urban areas than there are, um, you know, than there are rural areas. Obviously that's the, you know, that's kind of the definition of how it goes. And it, it's just sort of, um, you know, kind of, I don't want to say it's random, but it's just kind of how, how the cookie crumbles that, um, it, it ends up being left-leaning cities, right-leaning uh, rural areas. But if if we were to adopt the popular vote, it, it it would just it would be horrible just for those suburban and those rural voters who really would have essentially no say at all, because for every 
you know, small state rural voter, there's 10 to 20 to more um, urban voters who would just tip the scales. And I mean, there's a reason why the Electoral College was put into place. And there's a reason why it's lasted. And there's a reason why our, our elections are as stable as they are. The Electoral College has never failed to give us a president. My point with this all is, is that if you adopt a popular vote system, then the the interests and the ideals of the suburban and the rural voters just kind of gets it gets lost in all of the the urban rhetoric, which is why I feel it would be ultimately um, disastrous for our country. To be honest with you, even though that's a bit of a extremist take, I I really feel like it would be it would go extremely poorly. Okay, I I found this a couple months ago, and don't quote me on the exact number, but what I would say to you is I think it it was between 35 and 40% of the population of the U.S. Mm-hmm. lives in the 300 biggest yeah. cities, all of which have over 100,000 people, but it only, it only adds yeah. up to like 40% of the population. And yeah, that's a big, that is a large portion of what you need, considering you only need 50 plus a little bit. But there is a reason that a lot of people in those cities vote Democratic to to start with. So I would think that that how people in different areas vote isn't going to change much. So there's still, because the Democrats counting on the cities isn't going to guarantee mm-hmm. that they're going to get the votes that they need, Okay. there's I still going to be a battle yeah. over the suburbs every year. And I know you didn't, I know you didn't specifically make this point, but a lot, one of the arguments that I see a lot for the Electoral College is it prevents the focus on mm-hmm. specific groups of people. Oh, actually, no, you did kind of make this with the cities. And I get that. But also, right, like every election, New York voters are kind of like the the rural voters in that situation. They they don't matter. Can't people in rural California don't get campaigned to or even or on the flip side, people in Idaho don't have to yeah. get their vote uh, placated to them. They have to. So swing states mm-hmm. exist, and that means that there is a focus okay. on specific groups of people and the ignoring of the rest of the population. Yeah. Just as there I would be that. in um, a national There are vote. a couple of things that I would uh, like to say in response to that. The first is you were talking about um, like some groups of people being um, either more represented or less represented. Um, and that's actually one of the common arguments against the, um, the Electoral College is that minority, minorities uh, specifically are um, underrepresented in the Electoral College, and I just wanted to touch on that kind of building off what you said about how some groups of people are under or overrepresented. Um, so if you look 
um, uh, at uh, calculations done by the U.S. Census as of July 1st, 2019, um, white people make up 76.3% of the population. Uh, Black and African-Americans make up 13.4%. Asian Americans make up 5.9%. And then Hispanic and Latino make up 18.5% with um, mixed races being about 3%. So for somebody to say, I know this isn't what you said, but this is more kind of like an open response to people who do say this about about the race thing. Um, Saying that minorities are not put in a position to decide elections is absolutely true, but that is not necessarily a wrong thing when you look at the the raw numbers. There's no reason why, say, for example, uh, Black and African Americans, which make up about 13.4% of the population, should um, dominate, you know, the rest of the, say, for example, the 76.3% of the the white population. And in fact, I would say that they actually do make up a, a, a very large part of specific um, races, especially in the South, for example, if we want to use African Americans as an example, because in, in the South, they are by far more, more densely populated by African Americans in the South than by anywhere else in the country. Excuse me. So if you want to run in the South, you can't really say, nah, screw the black voters. I'm not going to address any of their issues or else, excuse me, you won't get it. You won't get in. Uh, so I. Hmm. Well, that's I will. I will admit there are. The, yeah, obviously, there are, but I'm just talking about in a more general exists, sense. But we won't talk about that. Um, obviously, yeah. No, yeah, I just, I obviously there are efforts and, to to sabotage. No, no, you there's, you know, things going on behind the curtain that you know we either do see or we don't see. It's just you know, things happen. But yeah, I don't. I don't think that I'm. I have enough knowledge to really comment that in in a specific manner. Uh, okay, I I see what you're saying. But I would counter that with, and I know this isn't what you said, but kind of the open argument, we don't want to limit how much of a say in the governing of the people that the people, no matter who they are, have. And I think that's why the popular vote... (laughs) one of the arguments for it is yeah. every vote matters the same because like it's not weighted mm-hmm. differently like separate than red and blue states small states even if we had a reset and the parties had to find new uh, yeah voters and couldn't count necessarily on like the same groups they'd be and they were targeting like uh the big electoral college uh wins then the small states still get ignored and the people in those states are ignored so like i don't know i just Mm -hmm. think 
leveling the playing field of the electoral college so it's not like yeah you're voting here mm-hmm. and but you your state only has like this many votes i yeah in deciding who wins because that does play a factor um, in it too as much as no 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 no, so, no, no, no. i get yeah. what you mean so something <laughs> i'd like to say to that is my personal yeah, belief you know I mean. is that um well are you familiar with the main nebraska plan in the electoral college yeah i am a big fan of adopting that yeah, yeah. nationwide so we still maintain the electoral college which i think is important and is necessary for the stability and the security and all that that i've already touched upon but i would be a big fan of that because that would increase like you said how much your vote counts because take for example uh red voters in upstate new york new york barring something amazing will never mm-hmm. ever turn red because of the city but if we were to uh go the way of maine and nebraska right. um th- they would probably democrats i i don't know the exact numbers so excuse me i i would assume that they would still win the states so they would get the state bonus but more um more electoral college votes would go mm-hmm. to uh the republicans because of like the upstate districts you know so i i'm a big proponent of that is the happy medium between the popular vote system and the traditional well, electoral college that we use now i think that obviously i don't <laughs> think that's ideal i think a national i think a national popular vote would be yeah. ideal but i think that's at least that would be better than the current system but and the same thing Mm -hmm. you were saying about like republicans getting more votes from new york oh no 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 no, definitely i just use that as um, a specific example off the top of my head montana or something and i i know you were just using that as an example and i think it would be more fair and this would be minutia but i it would be creating the same problems mm-hmm. in congressional districts that are focused heavily around a city like in new york city there are eh, well not in new york city in new york it's heavily focused yeah. on city where they divide the um, congressional districts so that's not as big of a problem but in other in smaller population mm-hmm. states where there is more yeah the cities are smaller but they're still cities with completely yeah. different views of the rural voters not as far from them and they're grouped into more congressional districts so it creates similar problems on a smaller yeah. scale I yeah i get that that admit. makes sense that's definitely but, a, a valid you know I mean? point mm-hmm. <laughs> i think that's all it. right and thank so, you for having me yeah with that uh, I, I thank this. you guys so great. much for being on here um it was yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it, nice to engage in debate other than with my family yeah so uh this has been 5am voice and till the next time